I have the distinct pleasure of uh, serving you all today through the teaching of God's Word. And uh, we are going to be looking in Luke chapter 1, if you want to go ahead and get there in your Bible. Luke chapter 1. The title of today's message is The Hope Our World Needs. The Hope Our World Needs. So this Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent, and in Christian communities around the world, Advent refers to the four-week season of remembering and celebrating the arrival of Jesus on earth. And it is a time that we all are able to reflect on the unexpected nature of Jesus' humble birth and join in anticipation of when he will come again to reunite heaven and earth once and for all. So it's common practice during Advent to reflect on the themes of hope and peace and love and joy. And so today I want us in that spirit to turn our attention to hope. And not just any hope, but the hope that I believe our world needs. Our world, your world needs hope. And I believe we can find it in the person of Jesus. And just as we sang today about speaking the name of Jesus, Uh, Our theme today is hope, and it's hope found in Jesus. Um, And so to do this, we have to acknowledge our need. We have to acknowledge that there is need. Um, And we ask the question today, and I, I encourage you all to ask yourselves the question today, where is my hope? Where is my hope? And I would ask it that way as opposed to asking, you know, maybe what are you hoping for, right? Um, you know, this time of year we ask, like, what are you hoping to get for Christmas, right? And, um, and so more so than what are you hoping for, where is your hope? Where have you placed it? Where is your hope? I believe church is a space where we bring our collective human experience. We lay it before God. And in doing so, we experience a hope that comes from him. Church really defined as a place where we can come and share hope where we worship the God of hope, where we receive hope, where we share hope with one another. And so uh, hope helps me to move from a place of pretending to persevering. Hope helps us to move from complaining to contending. And when I dwell on the implications of Christmas as we are in this Advent season, this time leading up to the birth of Jesus, I call to mind a day 2,000 years ago when the weary world's longing for salvation was met with heavenly rejoicing as the being that created all that is and has been and will be put on skin and bones and he moved into our neck of the woods. Years of anticipation, years of waiting, longing, praying, finally answered, but not in the way that anyone would expect it. If you find yourself here today longing for hope to be restored in your life, the Christmas season is a great time to have hope restored. And I want to share my favorite part of the Christmas story. This part comes before Jesus is even born, before the promise is fulfilled, before the hope is realized, while the characters in the story are still in waiting. It's in those times that hope is most tested, most refined, most tried and relied upon. And it's in Luke chapter one, we read about two women of faith experiencing miraculous pregnancies, Mary and Elizabeth. 
And so I love this first chapter of Luke. There are parts that are referenced and read during Christmas, but the whole chapter contains incredible context and incredible inspiration for all of us seeking in our day to be faithful to God. Many of us fighting to hold on to hope here in our world in the midst of overwhelming circumstances. So in the beginning, we meet Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah. They are Levites, and as such, Zechariah serves in the temple. And we learn that Zechariah and Elizabeth are in verse 6. It says that they both are righteous before God, and they live blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. And the next thing we learn is that they have not been able to have children, and they're both older in age. And while Zechariah was offering incense as a priestly duty, something that would be like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, this is like a really big deal for him and, and, and what he does, he's visited by an angel of the Lord who says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. I love verses 24 through 25. It says, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. You may feel like there are people around you that look upon you with disgrace. They may see your situation and may speculate as they might have with Elizabeth. I admire Elizabeth's commitment to remain faithfully committed to God through years of disappointment. And it's clear that her and Zechariah, they desired offspring. They prayed, they endured, and the Lord in this moment has intervened on their behalf. We can be encouraged by Elizabeth to remain steadfast and resolute in our faith and believing that in due time, God's favor will come upon us. And so we don't lose hope because of the opinions of people. And in verse 26, the angel of the Lord Gabriel now visits Mary. So in this visitation with Mary and with Zechariah, there's, there's sort of a parallel with them. And where they differ is in the response given to the angel Gabriel. Zechariah, he essentially responds to the angel Gabriel saying, do you expect me to believe that? It's like, are you serious right now? Mary's response offers up a question to the angel, but this question is not so much filled with doubt, but more concerned with how this will take place. She's curious, but she's ready and she's willing. So during the announcement to Mary, the angel tells her, that her cousin Elizabeth has conceived a son. And in verse 39, we read a great verse. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country. So Mary travels with haste to meet with Elizabeth, to visit her. The journey to Elizabeth was not like visiting a neighbor. She would have to travel. And as soon as Mary greets Elizabeth instantly, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaims, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. 
What incredible joy Elizabeth would have felt. The affirming embrace they would have shared and assuring glances as Mary felt Elizabeth's stomach in this moment. I can just imagine how special a moment it was for them. The shared experience, the connectedness. Elizabeth and Mary must have been electric. How sweet it is when you are about to embark into the unknown and you know that you are not alone. What a gift to Mary to have someone preceding her in the journey of pregnancy, a shoulder to lean on, experience to pull from, just as John the Baptist would prepare the way for Jesus, we see Elizabeth preparing the way and experience for Mary. And I believe it gives opportunity for Mary to step forward into this mystery of carrying the Messiah full of radical hope. In verse 42, we read, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. In verse 43, and why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? So beautiful, we have this declaration of Jesus being Lord. And it's after that Mary is, Mary, after Mary is given this sort of prophetic exhortation that she offers up her poetic song and prayer in Luke chapter one, verses 46 through 45. And it's often called the Magnificat because the first lines say, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. I love that this song, it comes not just after the angel's announcement to Mary, but after Elizabeth's spirit-filled words of celebration. Elizabeth's hope gives life to Mary who is pregnant with hope eternal. Now, the Christmas story can produce a hope and a feeling of encouragement. And I believe that it should because what we have is a world in desperate need of salvation, people in need of redemption, and so God enters into the human story through the person of Jesus. And a child is born, a son is given to us. The most hope-filled four words in our Bible, I believe, are these four words. The word became flesh. Amen? What hope we have in those four words. The word, capital W, became flesh. Jesus put on skin and bones and dwelt among us. Through this message, we understand that God is with us. He is our Emmanuel. Christmas gives us hope that God is with us. And so this is incredibly encouraging for us and should produce hope inside of us. But I want to move forward beyond Christmas this morning for just a moment so that we can more fully understand this hope that we have. See, I want to talk to us today about the hope our world needs. And this hope is more than just a son that was born, but it's about the son that lived and the son that died and the son that was raised again and the son that is coming again. Mary needs encouragement from Elizabeth because life will prove to be difficult. 
long journey for the census. Herod wants to kill all the firstborn sons. They are on the run. We begin to see why Luke chapter one is so vital. I can imagine Mary still singing her song to God throughout the difficult turns her life takes. And if we fast forward to the end, well past Christmas, 33 years past Christmas, Mary must watch her son, the hope of the world, the boy that she raised be nailed to a cross after a brutal torturing by the Roman Empire. Mary and Elizabeth's moment together is full of excitement and joy, but here Mary experiences a pain and a heartache that many of us can sympathize with, but really only she knows the full weight and despair because it's her son that she's watching. And so there was nothing merry or bright about this time for her. And maybe your life is not merry and bright, right? Maybe it's not the most wonderful time of the year for you. And maybe this year hasn't been the most wonderful year for you. And that is okay. And we can speak to that. Um, sometimes I think as Christians, we are, we are little maybe too quick to move past our pain. And we're, it, pain is an uncomfortable thing. It's uncomfortable to experience personally. It's also uncomfortable to watch somebody in pain. Maybe we're unsure of what to say, of how to encourage somebody or how to not encourage somebody, um, how to console someone. But pain is a part of our human experience here. It's, it's what we have. And uh, we see Jesus, who is God in flesh, experience pain here on this earth. We see Jesus express the pain that he experienced here in this earth. And our Bible is full of um, stories and passages about lament. And we even have one in Psalm, Psalm 88. And if you've read Psalm 88, you maybe got to the end of it and were like, oh, wow, so that really just didn't turn around. Like, it just is sad all the way through. Um, a lot of times, you know, the Psalms, there's kind of like David's like wrestling, I'm downcast, you know, but but God, I trust you and, and you're gonna, you know, defeat my enemies, right? Psalm 88 offers us none of that, all right? Psalm 88 is one of the darkest Psalms. And even lamentful Psalms like Psalm 44 have some hope-filled elements. But there's none of that in Psalm 88. In Psalm 88, we are just confronted with heaviness. So if I turn there this morning, in verse 1, we have this. O Lord, God of my salvation, when at night I cry out in your presence, let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. That is as good as we'll get in Psalm 88, right? It's as good as we'll get because we go right from there into verse three, for my soul is full of troubles. My life draws down near Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who, rem who you remember no more for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit. In the regions dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with your waves. 
You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a thing of horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call on you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the shades rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness? Are your, wonder, are your wonders known in the darkness or your saving help in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry out to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and closed to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides, they close in on me. You have caused friend and neighbor to shun me. My companions are in darkness. And I read that whole psalm to you this morning because it likely was a bit uncomfortable, right? And I think it's important because it, put, it, it forces us in, it, to, to get ourselves into a posture of being able to embrace some of the uncomfortableness of life and the pain and the heartache. When we read something that is just unrelenting all the way through of just difficulty and difficulty and difficulty and difficulty. See, when we survey the heaviness of our world in our own lives, it is important that we allow ourselves to go to this place as Jesus did. Psalm 88 says, you have done this. In verse 10, there's these questions. Do you work wonders for the dead? But all throughout, the writer of the psalm is saying, you, you've done this. You, you have done this. And I draw our attention to this word, you. Because this word, you, is both the reason for complaint, but also the one element of help and hope in this psalm. See, the psalm begins with God of my salvation, right? So the psalmist is able to recognize that this is the God who saves me. I, I am your child. I, I am someone who serves you, and you're the God of my salvation. So many of you may have lived through Psalm 88, and maybe you're in the middle of Psalm 88, and the encouragement this morning is to cling to the you in this verse. We could also just be indifferent and say God doesn't care and move on with our lives. We could try to be tough and say it doesn't bother me and move on with our life. We could try to, you know, just think happy thoughts and pretend like our problems don't exist. Or we could cling to the you. In Christianity, the power that we have as Christians is that there is a you. There's a you that we can aim our lament at and in doing so find hope. And we don't know why, but sometimes God leads us through the garden of Gethsemane, through the loneliness, right onto the hill at Golgotha. That's how Jesus' life went. And it's there that he proclaims this question to God, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? This you is a prayer that we can pray. Do you work? 
Yes. The answers to these questions, do you work wonders for the dead? Well, yes. Do the shades rise up to praise you? Yes. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Yes. And we have this hope because of Jesus. He's the you that we cling to. So sometimes we have to stay there and pray to the God of salvation. I'm suffering, and yet I cling to the hope I have in you, God, believing that you are in here somewhere. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10 gives us a glimpse into the Christian hope. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. He who rescued us from so deadly a peril will continue to rescue us. On him we have set our hope so that he will rescue us again. That's the Christian hope is that we've been saved from death and God has come and conquered death and he will come and rescue us again. Mary knew very well the depth of human pain and suffering. She knew also the radical hope found in Jesus Christ who had defeated death. The hope we need is found in Jesus. Jesus was born into this world. He lived and he taught us how to be better humans in this world. He died in this world, was raised to life in this world. He ascended to heaven from this world. And scripture tells us that he's coming back to redeem this world. And yet many of us as Christians are just so eager to leave this world. And we want nothing to do with this world. And this world's just gone off the rails. If we look at the life of Jesus in the early Christians, we have a window into how we may participate into this world. Hope may inform us of the incredible calling that we have as Christians. See, the early church's hope is remarkably consistent and uniform. It is centered on the resurrection rather than simply life after death. In fact, here's the deal. The early church almost never talked about just going to heaven when one died. And if they did, they taught that heaven was a temporary stop on the way to the new heavens and the new earth. Tom Wright says it this way about the Christian hope. The whole point of what Jesus was up to in his healings was he was doing close up in the present what he was promising long term in the future. And what he was promising for that future and doing in that present was not saving souls for a disembodied eternity, but rescuing people from the corruption and decay of the way the world presently is so they could enjoy already in the present the renewal of creation, which is God's ultimate purpose. And so they could thus become colleagues and partners in that larger project. We are living in this difficult in-between time between Jesus' resurrection from the dead and the final resurrection where new heavens and new earth will be inaugurated. 
So hope tells us that our job in the in-between is to work towards the future reality of a new heaven and a new earth, to paint that picture now. That empowers our mission. That hope compels us here today. The hope that I cling to is not that I will die and spend eternity in heaven as some retirement plan. Salvation is not going to heaven. Salvation is being raised to life in God's new heaven and new earth. And that is a hope that I cling to. It's the Lord's prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Not our Father in heaven, please get us out of here really quick because I'm really tired of being here and this is so frustrating and I'm angry because my life doesn't look like what I wanted it to look like. The Christian hope is that I set my attention and I, and, I, and I aim my life towards how Jesus aimed his life and that is the renewal of all things. I aim my life towards helping others and, and towards building things here on this earth because I'm believing that I'm building towards an eternity, that I'm not just waiting to get to heaven so I can kick my feet up someday. No, no, no. I'm not sitting back lazily here in this earth. I have a job to do. There's work to do. And I believe that the work that I do, as, as, as Russell Crowe said in The Gladiator, will echo into eternity, that what I do today matters into eternity. And that's where I've said my hope. I'm not just looking to live, uh, to, to have life after death. I'm looking to, as Tom Wright would say, to have life after life after death. That's where my hope is. And we've offered up people this, well, just, just, just pray this prayer. And, and, and when you die, you, you'll, you'll, you'll not be dead. You'll be alive and, and you'll be in heaven and, and, and you'll, you know, be on a cloud and you'll have like a little harp and, and you'll just sort of float around, you know, just sort of disembodied. Why would, would God, the creator of everything, put on skin and bones, enter into this world, spend so much time in this world, die in this world, be raised to life in this world, ascend in his body from this world, only to tell us, forget it all. Why would God spend so much time creating this world and endeavoring and teaching us how to participate and live in this world for us just to throw off all responsibility to live as people filled with hope here in this world today in the present? That's what fuels us in the present. That's what empowers us to mission. That is why we gather and we worship in this place. That is why we look at each other and, and we encourage one another and we spur each other on. It's why we pray. It's why we sing. It's why we do mission. It's why we clothe people. It's why we feed people. We are baking cookies so that we can dignify people right down the road because what we believe is that these cookies are bringing dignity to them and that this dignity will somehow, we don't know how, but it will echo out into eternity. Amen. It's not just acts of charity. It's hope-filled mission. There's a hope to what we're doing. There's meaning to it. I'll read one more quote from Tom Wright. The point of resurrection is that the present bodily life is not value, valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, 
campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. When Jesus died and was raised to life, a new kingdom was inaugurated here on the earth. And we have this king and his name is Jesus. And we as his co-heirs, we've been placed on this earth for such a time as this to inaugurate his kingdom here on this earth. And so as we bake cookies and bring dignity to those in our detention center, as we foster and support those who foster children, as we raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, we do all of these things because they matter into eternity. And it gives us hope in the present that what I'm doing here matters. Hope fuels our mission and reminds us that none of these things are wasted into eternity because we are building towards the glorious hope of Christ's second coming. So through my low moments, my anxieties, my fear, my disappointments, my sadness, through the diagnosis, through the failure, through the success, when my money is right, when my money is wrong, when the job falls through, when the people desert you, when the people doubt you, when you are numb through your doubts, in your anger, through the fire and the testing, through the falling apart, through every single tear and every single heartbreak, through every single bit of it, we trust that Jesus is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. I'm not zooming past anything in this earth. I'm experiencing it all because I know that Jesus is experiencing it with me. And whatever I go through, I go through with Jesus. And that empowers me to mission. And so for me personally, every single young person and teenager that I can speak life and encouragement to, I'm going to because I believe it matters. And every amount of, of beauty that I can cultivate here in this earth, I believe that it matters because I'm saying, God, I don't know how to paint it perfectly and I don't know what it's going to look like, but God, I'm doing my best to bring heaven down to earth because that's what your son did. That's what Jesus, that's what you did. So I'm gonna try my best to bring heaven to earth. I don't know when things will get merry and bright, but I believe that God can and will make all things right. And so I endeavor to hope. So Christmas, a reminder that Jesus is the God who saves. He's with us. He's in the midst 
of it all. He holds us even when we can't feel his presence, even as we're in Psalm 88 and all we can say is you, 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 why have you done this? And yet I cling to you and I'm thankful that there is a you that I can pray to. That God, I'm not just voicing my complaint and my strife and my difficulty out into nothingness. That I'm verbalizing my disappointments and my trials to a God who hears and is here. So I encourage you in light of this hope that our world needs to go safeguard someone else's hope this season. Speak blessing over those around you. Give somebody some encouragement. Commit to associating with the lowly. Push past the awkwardness and reach out to that person who's in a difficult place. Mary, it says, with haste, went out of her way to go see Elizabeth. She traveled many miles for her context and time. In a time when travel was not safe, the least that you and I could do is send a text to that person that we know could use some encouragement. We could go visit that friend. We have a small amount of time here on this earth. It's important that we number our days. I'm not trying to be dreadful, but we will all die. Our bodies will cease here. Our hope is that even as we exit our bodies here on this earth, we will be reunited with them as Christ returns in the resurrection. And we will join in him as we institute the new heavens and the new earth. And so I wanna number my days here while I have them. And I wanna spend them, investing them into eternity. <laughs> what a great hope we have. It's unlike anything I've heard in this world. There's a lot of different opinions about what happens after we die and where do we go and, and what happens. I just know that what I do today matters. And so I'm gonna live a life of integrity today because I believe it matters into, into eternity. While we're here, let's endeavor to hope for ourselves and for others. Paul gives so much encouragement to the church of Rome, uh, in Rome, so much theology, so many things about Jesus and he's teaching them. But, but what he wants for them in, 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 in chapter 5, verse 13, is he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We cling to hope in our Savior Jesus and we allow it to push us towards our mission. I remind us. See, Paul doesn't say, therefore, since you have such a great hope, sit back, relax, kick up your feet because someday you get to retire in heaven. No, 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 
Oh, that God would give us a vision of his hope. Hope eternal. Hope for a life after life, after death. That we will live, that there is wonderful work to be done. And so let's begin it today. Let's hope while it is still today. Will you stand to your feet with me this morning? I want us to sing today. And through singing, I want us to encourage our souls. I want to give space for anyone who may need prayer. I know today I've already been blessed through people surrounding me in prayer that lifted my soul this morning just to have people come around me and pray for me. We'd love to do the same for you, to surround you in prayer, in your situation, to encourage you that you may find hope. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. The altar's open. Maybe you just wanna come forward and with your body say, God, I wanna draw closer to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your hope. God, thank you for what you've done for us. Jesus, I thank you that you are restoring hope this day. God, I thank you that you are calling people closer to you. Jesus, I thank you that hope is coming alive today. Lord, I thank you that hope is alive in the person of Jesus. And so God, we trust you and we thank you today that you are victorious in our life and we look to you, Jesus. We worship you today, Father God. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.